Daidoji by Nancy M. Sawyer. Read by Jeannie Calvar. The map showed Kudan Kikita and its surroundings, graced with small scattered sketches of flowers, trees, and animals. To most observers, they would be unimportant, the work of a crane cartographer indulging in a moment of amusement. Daidoji Uji studied it closely, mentally separating the sketches that coded important information from the ones designed to be a distraction. Maps could be stolen, and Uji had no intention of sharing his deep knowledge of his clan's fortresses with anyone else. Slowly, he traced out the battle where the crane had taken the lion palisades but failed to win the gates of Kudankakita. Then he traced out the next battle where he and his soldiers had again failed to win the gates. The one after that, using flaming arrows to divide the lion's attention between defense and firefighting, close again, but still a failure. One by one, Uji went through the list of battles, recalling the tactics used by both sides. The problem was a simple one. Kuten Kikita had been built to be defensible against a large force. Matsusuko's generals were experienced commanders, and Suko had enough soldiers to properly garrison the castle. Uji had the knowledge necessary to negate the castle's advantages, but he had nowhere near the troops needed to do it, and no hope of getting reinforcements. He straightened up from the map and took three deep, grounding breaths. There was no need for an Asahina to divine the future for him. Autumn was deepening into winter, Soon he would have to pull his armies back to winter quarters or see them die of starvation and exposure in the field. Pulling back would give the lion all the opportunity they needed to reinforce their position and prepare for the spring, and when spring came, they would march. The Crane clan was already incredibly fragile. It could not survive having an enemy entrenched in its heart. Uji grimaced and arose from the map table. His effective options had narrowed down to only two. He had to commit himself or accept the consequences of leaving Kudan Kikita in enemy hands. In the corner of his tent was a travel shrine dedicated to Doji Hayaku, the founder of the Daidoji family. It was beautifully carved from oak and ivory and it stood in honor atop a lacquered box that showed a crane hunting in a marsh. Uji knelt down, lit a stick of incense, and prostrated himself before the shrine. When Doji Konishiko had disappeared after her confrontation with the dark god Fu Leng, Doji Hayaku had not hesitated to imperil himself in a quest to find and recover his older sister. No one ventured deep into the Shadowlands and returned alive, especially not when they did so alone. Yet his love for his sister, and his duty to his clan, 
drove Hayaku onward through untold deadly perils. Somehow, where the most resolute Hida and the most cunning Haruma had failed, Doji Hayaku's selflessness vanquished the evils of Jikoku, and he returned, muted and scarred, but very much alive, with his fallen sister's ancestral blade in hand. What I must do, I do for the crane. Just as Doji Hayaku had imperiled himself for his duty, Daidoji Uji would do the same. My reward will be the safety of the clan, even if I am no longer welcome in it. The ashes of the incense had grown cold when Uji raised himself back up. He carefully picked up the shrine and set it to the side, then removed the top of the lacquered box. Reaching in, he withdrew a number of tightly wrapped paper scrolls, each containing a fine powder. He returned the shrine to its place, carried the scrolls to the map table, and nestled them in with the pile of maps. When he had finished, he called for a courier. Tonight, we plan, Uji told the samurai around the map table. Tomorrow night, we will act. He quietly and quickly outlined what had to be done, then waited for their reactions. Harriers were trained for battlefield cunning and creativity. These particular harriers were Uji's personal troops, chosen for their deep loyalty to him and to the crane. In preparation for such a need, as now lay before him, they had been trained in additional techniques not normally taught to crane samurai. He had prepared them for a plan such as this one, but it would ask much from them, and he was not foolish enough to think there would be a no objections. Ujisama! One of them burst out. We cannot do this! This is a crane palace! Silence, fool! Another harrier hissed, and an angry murmur swept around the table. He is only saying what the rest of you are thinking, Uji said, and silence slammed down around them. He looked around the circle of faces, and only the man who had objected could meet his eyes. It was a crane castle. It is now a lion fortress, and we can no longer hold back our hands. The rest of this clan will suffer if we do not act. It may be as you say, Uji-sama, one of the other harriers said. And yet, when the other crane lords hear of this, there will be trouble. Kakita Yoshi will especially be disturbed. Uji nodded. I have already sent word to the champion and the council, reporting the matter to them. However, we cannot wait for a message to return. There was a different kind of silence as the group absorbed Uji's words and began to plan around them. What you want done is simple enough one of them said, but we will have only one chance, and it must not fail. Someone will have to stay behind to take care of any unforeseen obstacles. Yes, Uji said. Someone must stay behind. Silence fell a third time, to be broken finally by the one who had objected. I will stay behind, Uji-sama, he said. If it must be done, let it be done by my hand. Uji met his eyes measuring the determination he saw there. I will care for your kin as if they were my own. 
Daidoji Uji had been in the sub-basement of Kudenkikita once before, but then he had descended the stairway in the daytime, accompanied by the commander of the Kikita samurai who garrisoned the castle, and an abundance of servants bearing bright lamps. The memory of that time lent a surreal quality to his current visit. He stood at the beginning, or the end, of a passageway the Kikita commander had not known about, and ancestors willing never would. Before him was a heavy wooden door that looked oddly tidy in comparison to the cramped, root-infested tunnel behind him. There was no lock on the door, but a number of bolts held it fast. Uji paused with one hand on a bolt. Only if the bolts were undone in the proper sequence would the door open. If they were undone in any other sequence, the ceiling would collapse, killing everyone in this section of the tunnel. He had no fear of triggering a collapse by accident, but it occurred to him that he could choose to trigger it. He was the leader of the Daidoji. It was his responsibility to keep the lands of the Crane clan safe. He had failed badly when Matsusuko had seized Kuden Kikita. His actions tonight would save the rest of the clan from the consequences of that failure, even as he committed a greater betrayal on centuries of Kikita craftsmanship. Should he simply set down his burden and embrace death, the judgment of his karma would absolve him of what he had already failed to do. Yet the crane's future could not be held against his own life or honor. Just as the first Daidoji had done when faced with darkness, he would shun the path of cowardice. The first bolt grated in protest as Uji slid it free. He grimaced a little at the noise and continued on. The second refused to move until it was oiled and coaxed. One by one, he undid them, and then he pushed the door open and stepped into Kudenkikita's sub-basement. Around him, small groups of black-clad harriers set off down the hallways, each bearing several tight paper scrolls and small glittering sangusuri wards. Uji watched them go. Even well-trained iron warriors would find themselves hard-pressed to breach the castle's defenses were they to fight Suko's warriors head-on in these basement halls. They had never been intended for ingress, and the trap passageway he had opened was only one of many traps cunningly built by his ancestors. Armor and weapons in these tunnels would only draw attention to their presence, prompting a greater defense. If he was to defeat Matsusuko, it could only be done through cunning and secrecy. A short eternity later, his infiltrators began to trickle back, bearing their dying lights. One harrier returned alone, worry plain on her face, and gestured for Uji. A tightening of his brow, barely visible above his fierce mempo in the darkness, was all he allowed as he wordlessly followed her down the corridor and into the castle's basements. Soon they had joined the rest of this harrier's team, who were waiting outside an entrance to a larder, one that was only infrequently accessed from the castle above. He immediately saw what the problem was. Lamplights spilled around the corner, and voices echoed in the damp air. 
Following a gesture from one of the harriers, Uji inched forward until he could see a little way into the room. A rough mat had been placed on the floor, and six people sat around it, laughing and chattering in lion accents. A ridiculous story resounded through the room of a frog who had purloined the Castellan's keys. Uji turned to his chief harrier with languid expectation. She nodded back, a sour expression on her face. Using the battlefield hand gestures common to harriers, he indicated the room and its inhabitants. Is this room your target? Yes. Of course it was. Harriers were capable of dealing with the occasional overzealous sentry or unfortunate servant, but six lion samurai were not going to die quietly. He could possibly take them by surprise, especially if they were drunk on sake. It would only take a moment to leap across the room, his swords drawn, and cut them down in a flash of steel and blood. Far greater numbers of lion warriors had fallen before him on the battlefield, and he knew these tunnels better than they ever could. His hand gripped the hilt of his wakasashi as he gauged the distance, ready to draw with the swift intake of breath. Yet, should any of them stand up to him, the sound of battle might alert the rest of the castle to his harrier's presence. He could not know if these soldiers, who had set up a private hideaway beneath the castle, had done so with their lord's permission, and whether the rest of Matsusuko's army was prepared to defend against an incursion from beneath. If they did, it would be quick work for her soldiers to rout Uji and his harriers and foil their stratagem. They had come too poorly armored for a direct confrontation. Risk too great. Scout your auxiliary target, he signaled. If it is clear of lion, deploy. She nodded, and then she and her unit hurried off. When it was done, Uji and the harriers retreated through the passageway in which they had entered. Only one warrior remained at the entrance as Uji followed behind the harriers. They had said their goodbyes when the night was still young, so there was nothing left for Uji to do except to give the order. The harrier bowed and turned to go. He would see to it that the plan's final act would not fail. For a moment, Uji wondered if he would soon be following in this man's footsteps. He was now knowingly walking to his own destruction, potentially sacrificing as much as his family's reputation in the defense of his clan. Would Uji have the courage to stay as honorable as this man had been when confronted with the pain and anger he knew would come of this night? If it were appropriate, he would readily take this man's place and accept his fate. Yet someone would need to justify his actions to Lady Hitaru or Lord Kuanan when they learned what had befallen. He could not ask that of any of his samurai. Before the harrier was out of reach, Uji reached up and touched him on the shoulder, where a samurai usually wore the mon of his family. The warrior looked back, and Uji bowed his head in thanks. Silently, both turned to their respective duties and were gone. The night was moonless, but the stars gave more than enough light to see Kuden Kikita by. The palace soared high above the surrounding countryside, elegant, 
beautiful and impervious to all attempts to retake it. Daidoji Uji had returned to the camp and was standing beside one of his sentries, a woman who had been pacing the palisade since he had begun his operation. The night trembled with ominous potential, which had reached even this loyal warrior, who had no knowledge yet of what Uji had done. Had she been the one to propose this plan, would he have accepted it? Or would he have, perhaps rightfully, punished her for suggesting such a disgraceful tactic? His duty to defend the crane was clear, and he had saved countless lives through subterfuge and deception in the past. He had studied the tools and tactics of Gaijin warriors for this express purpose, to achieve victory where ordinary tactics could not. Unlike the foes who now garrisoned Kudenkakita, the crane were not so precious as their history. An ending was worthy of celebration, for what was to come would only surpass its predecessors in beauty and elegance. The daimyo of the Daidoji would do what he must, that the future of his clan could flourish. A sudden light flickered through the night air, and the sentry stifled a cry of alarm beside him. Daidoji Uji did not move. Kudin Kikita glowed with fiery red light that shone from every window. The sentry stared at it gape-jawed, then staggered back as a roar of sound rolled over. When she regained her balance, her face was a mask of horror. The palace walls crumbled away, burning fragments of stone and wood collapsing in on themselves. One section of wall, above where the lion samurai had impeded the infiltration, remained standing. Fragments of floor jutting lopsided into the air. The peace of the night was gone. Uji forced himself to remain still as, one by one, the sentries became aware of the destruction. It took several moments for Uji to realize that the sentry beside him was screaming up at the sky, tears flowing out of her eyes. From further on, he could hear a swell of noise from the camp as awakened samurai scrambled out of their tents and beheld the burning ghost of the once beautiful palace of the Kikita family. Many of them undoubtedly had lived or trained among the Kikita, or were close with those who had done so. Hundreds of years of dedication, of beauty, all gone in an instant. And when Kikita Yoshi learned of the fate of his wife, held hostage within the now-ruined walls, there would be no peace among the daimyo of the crane. But if it also meant the death of Matsusuko, of her generals Kitsumoto and Okoto Zentaru and others, then perhaps the crane could finally be safe. He had fulfilled his duty to defend the crane. In the dying light of an explosion, Daidoji Uji lowered his head and privately wept. <laughs>